Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. On this week's show, we are speaking with the first former player to head the Major League Baseball Players Union, Tony Clark. Very fortunate, very, very blessed. Um, you know, I was... I was active uh, in the union as a player, but through some experiences prior to, I wanted to get involved and have a voice. We will have more with our interview with Tony Clark in a few minutes, but first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Joining us is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi-Williams. Gentlemen, let's begin with the big NBA trade of the week and with some other fix-ins. The big part, they're sending all-star point guard Kyrie Irving from Cleveland to Boston in exchange for Isaiah Thomas. In the Celtics front office, Danny Age talked to ESPN about the deal. It is a high price tag. It is a, a, a great value that we're giving up. Um, we, we love Isaiah and love Jay Crowder and giving up a quality first round pick. But, you know, acquiring a, a 25-year-old perennial all-star, um, a player that, you know, fits a timeline for us and is a, is a fantastic offensive player, is one of the best offensive players in the league. And let's start with some of the big winners of this trade, TNT, because they have a doubleheader coming up when they start the season. And guess what the first game is? Yeah, yep. they knew something. They yeah, knew something. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? This, this I hearken back to a couple of years ago when I asked Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cavaliers, what's it like to be LeBron's boss? And he responded, LeBron doesn't have a boss. <laughs> and I couldn't help but think, why would you want to invest in a business where even though you're the boss, you're not the boss? I mean, Kyrie Irving just decides, I don't want to be here anymore. So much for planning. So much from the meticulous putting together of a championship roster. Boom, it's done. You've got to blow it up. Yeah, and you think about from a Cleveland perspective, when your star, one of your star players, Kyrie Irving, if he's demanding to be traded, this is a pretty good haul if you're, if you're the Cavaliers. You get Isaiah Thomas back, you get a pick, you get two other players. It worked out fairly well for the Cavaliers, given a tough situation. But Scott's right. The big question here is, does this make LeBron James happier? Because he's a free agent at the end of next year, and he's already kind of leaking out there that he's not so happy. Uh, This is all about getting LeBron James to stick around in his home state. When did this all change? This has been a star-driven league. Let's go back to the names. Magic and Michael and then Dream Team and then you go into the next to the next. This is about stars. The superstars in the NBA more than the NFL because there's so few of them. They have helmets. You don't really see them. And these linemen, you can be the best lineman in football, but the fact is you're nameless and faceless. It's just the jersey. But if you're the best NBA player on your team, you're up close and personal. There's... There's a real affection the fans have, and they form a bond. You have leverage, and we saw it in the labor talks. When LeBron and Steph, and they showed up opposite the owners, they got a lot of what they wanted because this is a star-driven league. And what an offseason in general for the NBA. I mean, we talk about the NFL. What (laughs) offseason? We talk about the NFL a lot. (laughs) Opening day for baseball, Johnny Manziel says something, and suddenly that's A1 of every paper in the country. The NBA during its offseason has been perhaps more compelling than it was during the entire season. And don't think the NFL isn't taking notice. It used to be the NFL 24-7-365. It seems to me that all the chatter right now is NBA this, it's trades, it's who's leaving, it's the drama, it's the NBA has become the year-round follow. See, you are the king of segues because our next topic has to do with the NFL and the future of Commissioner Roger Goodell. The league is reportedly planning to announce a five-year extension of his contract as early as next week. 
So business as usual for the NFL. I mean, that's what it means to me. The one question, if I'm really looking down in that five-year horizon, it's been about sports betting and the revenue that may be generated. The NFL has been pushing back against the idea of legalized sports betting. While, by the way, wink, wink, back channels investigating, gee, what would we do? How do we prepare for this day? You know, they do own a piece of a company called Sport Radar, which supplies the data to all the betting houses outside the U.S. So while publicly saying we're not so we're not in favor of this, they are preparing for the day. But it's still business as usual with Roger, no major shakeup. This is a good perspective because I think for a lot of fans, you think Roger Goodell isn't doing a great job. The NFL has been making headlines in the wrong ways in, a, in the last couple of years. Domestic violence, player discipline, certainly the concussion issues. In Roger Goodell's tenure, revenue has tripled the $14 billion dollars. Franchise valuations have doubled. Uh, he has stewarded the, the league through some pretty tough times and done it very well. Um, and, and that's why he's getting this extension. And let's talk about this, guys. What do English soccer and the video game Candy Crush have in common? I want to know myself. His name is Mel Morris. Mel Morris is a, is a tech investor. He's also the chairman of Derby County, the soccer team. Um, and he is part of a group of owners that are in the, in the lower tiers of English soccer that are looking at a lot of the same questions we've talked about on this show here in America, about the changing digital media landscape, about pay TV and cable TV and maybe the money not being there. And he's looking at a ways to revamp the entire lower English soccer league's revenue streams. So it's the, we're talking about the three leagues underneath the English Premier League. There are some big teams in there, teams like Aston Villa, Leeds, Fulham, teams that have a big, big followings, and they just don't have the revenue right now commiserate with with the fans that they have, and he's working to fix that. This is about how do we make more money? How can we collectively get together? No, we're not the EPL. No, we're not Man City. We're not Man United. We're not Chelsea. However, we do have compelling content that a good number of eyeballs would like to see. How can we better distribute it? How can we better cash in? Gentlemen, always interesting, as usual. Our thanks to Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi-Williams. And now on the program, we are pleased to speak with the first former Major League Baseball player to be the head of the Major League Players Union, Tony Clark. Tony, thanks for joining us. Why don't we begin with Players Weekend? How did this all come about? Well, interestingly enough, for the over the course of the last handful of years, uh, we've been trying to to have more dialogue uh, in, in, in the promotion of the players in an effort to try to make a connection with the guys who have a lot of, of varied backgrounds, who, who have a lot of, of different interests, uh, and moving those more into the forefront of, of the regional but, but the national conversation. And so over the last few years, continue to try to, to push to make something like this happen, and we're finally able to connect the dots this year on Players Weekend. Do you have a favorite nickname that's going to be on the back of the jersey? I do. I'll tell you mine. I'm curious if you've got one. I don't know that I have a favorite one. I will tell you that the, the nickname process was an interesting one. Um, if for no other reason than you, 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 you get a list of, of nicknames and then you have to go back and double check to see where, what they may mean or where they come from. And I'll tell you that there were a number of nicknames that I thought were fantastic only to find out that they were connected to something I wasn't aware of, or they inferred something that, you know, I'm, I'm not completely naive, but inferred something that I didn't, wasn't aware of, uh, and didn't know about. But uh, that process has been, been fun. I, I don't, do not have a particular one, but even some of the ones that, that I've seen, including one that uh, jumped out at me a couple of days ago, which was uh, 
uh, Corey's brother, Kyle Oh, you, you took mine. <laughs> oh, I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. But every, everybody I'm, knows Corey Seager of the Dodgers. Right. Big young star, but his brother Kyle plays for the Mariners, and on the back of his jersey it will say? Corey's brother. I love it. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's got a big league, little league feel to it. Yes, yes it does. See, yes, the producers of the show, they hate it because I'm a native Detroit and I always slip in Detroit every time I'm doing the show. So I said, okay, I won't do that this time. But when you played for the Tigers from 1995 to 2001, and I was there, you were the you were a great first baseman for the team, and you've been in the majors. You were there for 15 years, and you're the first player to now head the Players' Union. What is that like? Very fortunate, very, very blessed. Um, you know, I was, I was active uh, in the union as a player, not just as a member. All of our our, our major league players are members, um, but through some experiences prior to, uh, wanted to get involved um, and have a voice uh, in in how uh, my career, the rules that govern it, how it was going to be managed, and and got involved and. Uh, afterward, uh, like you, as you mentioned, I was very fortunate to have played as, as long as I did and was trying to figure out what was next, uh, was provided an opportunity um, with, uh, with the PA, uh, my predecessor, Michael Weiner, my uh, mentor in, in a lot of ways, brought me on board, um, had absolutely no expectations of being in the position that I am now, but, but very grateful um, for uh, the the opportunity um, and the appreciation from my peers, um, as well as as uh, Michael bringing me on board to provide something that um, uh, he, he felt we needed. Otherwise, things may have gone markedly different. Um, uh, unfortunately, we we lost Michael a couple years back, um, and that was why my role changed. Um, but uh, very fortunate uh, to have have had the experiences and relationships that I did while I played, being as involved as I was as an active player, and then uh, having an opportunity now to, to give back and provide support to the guys, both active and inactive, and even the next generation of kids that are coming. What is it like now, because you have to interact with the owners when you're talking about trying to bring up issues from the players to the owners. Can you tell us about that process, about what it's like from being a player, now you're the head of the union? Well, interestingly enough, I was involved in a number of, of collective bargaining negotiations as an active player. Uh, so there were opportunities, even while I was in uniform, to be in the room and and have those types of conversations and negotiations with with ownership. Um, so they're 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 different now, not being an active player and and not being in uniform, uh, but bringing the perspective of of a player. Um, and having had some relationships and those types of engagements prior to my my current role, uh, all had value um, in what we needed to do uh, here over the course of the last five or six years, and 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 more recently last year in negotiating our, our most recent collective bargaining agreement. We are chatting with Tony Clark, the executive director of the Major League Baseball Players Association. And Tony, engagement doesn't seem to have been a problem for the baseball players. Why is that? I mean, Dave, you mentioned Michael Weiner, Don Fear before him. I know the other unions sometimes have trouble getting their players to be engaged in the process. Baseball known as the strongest union. What is the secret sauce? Well, I think our, our history is, is, is why our group is the way our group is. Um, it's a very detailed history. It's a very challenged history. Um, but it is a history littered with players 
um, who have taken stands, who have fought for their rights, who have made advancements and, and often did so at the, the expense of their own individual careers and definitely uh, to the detriment of, of dollars that they were losing during the course of any number of, 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 of work stoppages over the course of the last 50-some-odd years. Guys understand it, and as a result, understand and appreciate the responsibility they have each time uh, we sit down to bargain uh, and everything that may happen in between, how, it, how crucial their involvement and understanding of the moving pieces really is. Is labor and management in baseball and sport in the bigger sense, is it really a partnership or uh, are, are the two sides working together but really working for their own interests? Well, I think it's a respectful partnership. Uh, there are definitely interests that, um, that we both have, and there are definitely interests that uh, are split. Um, and the idea is to try to figure out how to come together and see if common ground can be found. Um, as I just, just talked about our history, there were times where common ground couldn't be found and decisions had to be made uh, in a way to, to try and move the conversation and or the industry forward. Um, we've been able to navigate that space for some time now. Uh, it still doesn't mean that uh, we see eye to eye on everything, um, but the respectful dialogue has lent itself to us not having had a work stoppage in some time. And each time we sit down, the industry's grown and moved and changed and adjusted. And so uh, every time you sit down is, is more complicated than the last time. Uh, but we were, we were able to get through it in 2016, and we'll have to see how things go during the term of this agreement before we sit down in 2021. Tony, Colin Kaepernick did it last year, and now we are seeing more athletes in the NFL not standing for the National Anthem. What would you do one day if a player said he was not standing for the National Anthem? I would support him. We would support him. The, the, look, I'm, I'm a Navy brat, and my, my wife is an Air Force brat. So that wouldn't necessarily be the route that we would go, or that I would go. I should say we, I'm talking about my wife, but that, that I would go. Um, having said that, and what players have heard me say already is, if you want to bring attention to somebody or something and you feel passionate enough about it, to to demonstrate that concern um, publicly, we'll support you. It doesn't necessarily mean on, on any level that, that things may be offered. There's a an agreement, um, but we will support guys taking that stand and that opportunity to present their thoughts. And so you appreciate and respect um, what has happened, um, understanding that, um, you know, and I think this is kind of what shifted a bit, uh, putting putting the challenges of, of, of a job aside generally and how that may be manifesting itself with respect to, 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 to Kaepernick, um, what, we, what we're seeing from the guys is simply a, 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 I think, a group of guys still wanting to have a conversation and keep in the conversation um, things that societally need to be better. Um, so uh, that is the way they are deciding to, to, to offer it. Um, others have simply offered words. Others have simply offered uh, op-eds. Others have done interviews and, and done the same where they've, they've presented what they believe in at the time. And, and so in this, in this culture of, of influencers, in this culture of causes, um, seeing players and others 
offer publicly what they believe to be an injustice and a willingness to, to try and get folks to talk about it and using what they can to keep that conversation going uh, with an eye on affecting positive change that we support. We are chatting with Tony Clark, the executive director of the Major League Baseball Players Association. And Tony, has your job, has a union's job, gotten easier or more difficult with the rise of revenue around sport, the rise of franchise values? Does that make things easier or more difficult for you? Well, I'll take it a step further and, and suggest that there are challenges uh, that we have that are now more reflective of challenges we've had in the past, um, even putting aside how the industries themselves have moved. In other words, the, the, the labor movement waned, ebbed, and flowed uh, for some time. Um, and interestingly enough, the certain philosophies and, and positions have been taken over the course of the last uh, dozen, two dozen years or so that have started to shape uh, public sentiment. But the truth is, where we are now is largely where we were before with respect to what's valued, what isn't valued, what's being taken advantage of, and what's not, to where the attacks on unions um, have created a, a very challenging place to be when you have conversations um, in the general public, meaning uh, you, you talk about all of the values that a union has. Put the sports aside for a moment, but all the values that a union has. And it's difficult to find someone who doesn't agree with the values. You get to a point, though, as soon as you say the word union, where things shift in the conversation. So it's a long-winded way of saying there are challenges. Uh, the challenges are eerily similar to the challenges that existed before, except we're now in a, a climate um, where even saying the word union offers certain connotations to certain folks, and that's it's simply unfortunate. But I would guess with those challenges also come unprecedented opportunity. If I'm a guy, let me bring up some baseball stars, Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, Nolan Arenado, Giancarlo Stanton, if I'm these guys, I am seeing opportunities that weren't there before, and I'm also seeing unions act as sort of venture capitalists these days. The NFLPA has its, its one-team collective. The NBPA is taking back its group license rights. You guys have just come out with infield chatter where your players are getting closer to the game. What are these opportunities, and how can a union assist those players in getting there? Unbelievable segue. Nicely done. 100% agree. 100% <laughs> <you>. agree. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's, in this time, again, I think I mentioned uh, uh, influencers and causes, um, and the idea, you mentioned Players Weekend, the idea of, of fans, general public, getting to know players, um, their thoughts, their personalities, their interests, their causes. Um, it's been interesting to watch that progression move more into the forefront of the conversation where even non-sports fans uh, are connecting with uh, 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 players and members of the sports community because of how culturally we're positioned. As a result, there are opportunities, as you just mentioned, that exist today that may not have existed near as often or as much in the past. And so that is why I believe you, you are seeing what's happening with the MBPA, and you are seeing what the NFLPA is doing and has done for some time, and you are seeing uh, what it is that, that we are doing as well uh, as we dip our toe into the water of, of opportunities that are indeed presenting themselves. Tony, there are fewer African Americans playing Major League Baseball today. Why do you think that is? There's 
a lot of reasons why um, the the numbers have shifted. Um, I'll try and hit on a few of them, knowing that uh, we don't have enough time to cover necessarily all of them. Um, let me start first by suggesting that there are more options now than there have been in the past. Um, it's fascinating. My my son is a sophomore, or will be a sophomore in high school, and and uh, he was talking the other day about how certain players have have stopped playing on his team, his high school team, and you know one is moving to fencing, um, and another is moving to bowling. Uh, they, they were literally changing to sports that I didn't even know existed in high school. Um, but they're shifting. So having more opportunities means that your your group of, of guys, of players, of athletes are going to be more spread out. A second is going to be opportunity. Um, in other words, depending on where you're from, um, depending on who's around you, depending on the the leagues that are available, depending on the the financial support that you may or may not have, may be a difference maker with respect to where uh, where you go and what sport you you engage in. Fast forward a little further, and you can talk about how uh, a lot of parents and a lot of kids are making decisions about next steps, uh, realizing and appreciating that if I got to get a scholarship to go to school. Uh, Basketball and baseball, or basketball and football, offer opportunities that baseball doesn't to the same extent. So, in other words, I can get a full scholarship on those other two sports, and 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 the schools have 11.7 to work with in baseball. Uh, so, from a financial standpoint, even later, um, uh, if you continue playing the game, you've got some decisions to make. So, it's a very complicated cycle of change and adjustments that we've seen, um, and all of it. Uh, is part of the conversation and why we've seen some numbers shift um, in the fashion that we have. We've, I think our high point as an industry was 25%, um, and now we're hovering in between that 6 and 8% number. I was a basketball player and a, and a baseball player, and if you had asked me at 11, 12, 13 years old to choose one sport, I may not have chosen baseball. Um, and a lot of kids are being told that's what they've got to do now, and it's been to the detriment of a lot of leagues, not just baseball. So complicated issue, uh, one that we are very interested in and concerned about, if for no other reason than we, we want to position ourselves to be a part of the positive conversation that can affect change by presenting opportunities that may not otherwise exist. You're being modest there, Tony. You weren't just a multi-sport athlete. You went to Arizona, a real basketball school, on a basketball scholarship. Yeah, no, basketball at the time was was the driving force. Baseball, honestly, was something that I did after basketball season. Um, if Again, kind of going back to what I referenced, if, if I had to choose, I would have chosen basketball. Um, and I thought my future was on the hardwood. Unfortunately, it wasn't until I got to college and and was injured and, and never really came back from the back surgery I had my freshman year that I figured, you know what, let me let me give this baseball thing a fair shake and, and full full look and see what we got. So I was I was very fortunate where having been drafted out of high school but still going to college and playing basketball and then playing minor league ball during the summer gave me an option um afterwards to to focus in on that's a little different than most. But Today, kids aren't even being given that opportunity and being told to specialize earlier if you're ever going to make it to the big leagues, and that's that's simply the wrong focus. Tony, are you a music fan? Yes. Billy Joel? Sure. Uh, you know the entertainer? Yes. Uh, you know, he, there's a line in his song that says, if you're going to have a hit, you got to make it fit, so they cut it down to 305. It seems like he was prescient with regard to millennials. 
and the attention span, right? That's what, that's what it seems like. Everybody, I want football's cutting out commercials, basketball's taking out timeouts, baseball wants faster, faster, faster. What's your solution? Well, I think understanding and appreciating the, the, where we're at, how, how folks are downloading information and how often they're downloading that information, how it is they're accessing that content, um, when they're accessing it, how long they're accessing it, when they access it. All of that is, is an appreciation against what everybody's saying. So um, it's an acknowledgement across the entire sports industry and other industries. Um, you know, how is it that we acknowledge the changes that have happened, we acknowledge the technology that's available, and try to reflect that in, in the business that is um, and how we offer what it is that we're offering. So it's, it's been an ongoing dialogue uh, in baseball. It will continue to be, and we're having those conversations now with Major League Baseball about how or if we can, we can interject certain things into the conversation while maintaining a, a, the integrity of the game itself and the one that, that we've all grown to love. But we're not the only ones doing it. So uh, appreciating what it looks like, I think, is the challenge. Um, so again, that you're not changing the game so much that it's not recognizable, but being able to take into account what we're seeing culturally and, and how uh, the, the, the generation of, of, of young fans um, are investing their time and, and are investing their interests and, uh, and then trying to, to match those two things up. And lastly for you, Tony, it won't surprise you that uh, there's some interest here in the business of sports show in the building. People always come up to Michael and me and say, hey, who you got this week? So, you know, you say Tony Clark, and you know what I'm hearing being in New York? Oh, top nine, game five, 2004. <laughs> you hit the ball too hard, right? You know, you know what's crazy? I, or I didn't hit it hard enough, one of the oh. two. You know, <laughs> it, it's, it's amazing even to that, this day. So I, I was fortunate to, to make the playoffs a couple times and was fortunate to, to, to be in an NLCS and an ALCS. Um, but that... It never got to the promised land. Never, never got to be the last team standing. And 2004, that game, that time, that ball. If that ball stays in the ballpark, things may be markedly different. Or if, like I said, if I had just hit it harder and it had gone out, things could have changed too. Um, but it's interesting whether you are a Boston fan or a Yankee fan. I'm telling you that even as of a couple weeks ago, I ran into a Yankee fan who brought that play up. Um, so I guess it, I could be remembered for far worse uh, as a player, but uh, that particular play is one that um, I try not to think about a whole lot because it was really the closest I had ever been um, to the World Series and what I believe would have been uh, the best opportunity to be the last team standing in 04. All right, that's Tony Clark, the executive director of the Major League Baseball Players Association. Tony, thank you. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for having me. No, appreciate it. Takeaways from this, and I think it has to do especially with what's happening in the NFL, about Colin Kaepernick and more players in the NFL not standing for the national anthem. And I'm sure one day it's going to happen in Major League Baseball, and Tony Clark talked about that. Yeah, absolutely. My takeaway is that he recognizes that players need to show personality. Players need to break out of just this conformity of the league, of the team, that the millennials, that young fans want and like the individual player. Worked in basketball with the stars like Kobe and Michael. I see that happening with the likes of Bryce Harper, 
with Mike Trout. They want all of that coming out, and Tony's willing to take the steps to make it happen. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Michael, our number of the week, 1515. And here we go again. Facebook will be showing mm-hmm. 15 college football games in the fall. The important word here, exclusively. That's very important in these deals because you can't see it somewhere else. So anybody interested in these games from like the Mountain West Conference, you're going to have to go to Facebook. It's that creep. Here we go again. Every week, our guests are talking about content, content, digital. How are people consuming? Where they want it? How they want it? On what device? Here we go. We're seeing it week in and week out. We're going to get the interest one day of television where the regular old way we used to see TV, that's going to be gone. We're going to one day be able to take a computer and just take the line and hook it up to the big screen TV and watch the streaming all over the place. That's so cute that you said, though, take the line and hook it up. Dude, it's wireless. It's broadband. How old are you? Well, you got no, you No, you, you have to take the computer. Don't you have to take yeah, something I, from the computer? I, I could you see, where's the doohickey and what I put into the what's in the call it? No, no, no. There's no doohickey and what's in the call anymore. Don't you have to take, there's a line that me, goes from the computer let, that let hooks up to this. the back let of the TV? Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. When you listen to something on your phone, music, and if you do, when you put Nat King Cole on on your phone, <laughs> do you have do you does your headphones do they have wires that go into something? Are you that old school? Thank you, bye, Cracky. <laughs> You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, exploring the world of money and sports. I'm taking my Geritol. I'm Michael Barr. <laughs> I'm Scott Soshnick. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and the brightest in the world of sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio, around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes.